What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with my fantabulistic co-host, Grant Hughes. We're going to get into some peace or panic, as promised. But before we do, my usual reminder slash plea, continue subscribing us to us wherever you consume us. If that's on YouTube, hit the sub button. If you're new here, hit the like button. Comment to help the algorithm love us back. Also, download us and subscribe to us on your podcast player of choice, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Google. Cross-sub on both YouTube and a podcast player. It helps us out a ton. If you've done both those things, consider helping us promote the podcast. Shout us out on Twitter. Retweet our promos. Word of mouth. Tell friends, family members, frenemies, random acquaintances that you meet on the street or at the voting polls about us and how awesome this podcast is or how not shitty or if you really think it's shitty but you hate listening anyway, tell them that that makes it a good listen as well. Follow us on all the socials, TikTok, Instagram, uh, Twitter. What else am I forgetting there? No, those three, those handles are all in the podcast and YouTube description. And join our Discord where you will get, I've yet to do a Twitter. We've yet to do a Twitter mailbag. It's all been Discord stuff um, so far this year. So get priority to having your questions answered and join great discussions happening that Grant and I don't even weigh in on sometimes at this point. Grant definitely doesn't because he doesn't even know what Discord is, I don't think. Um, but I don't even have to talk anymore because everyone there is so awesome. So join our Discord. The link is in the podcast and YouTube description. With all that out of the way, the question everyone is always dying to know the answer to. Grant, how the heck are you doing? I feel like I never have a good answer for this. I wonder if that, like, does, I just don't want to reveal too much, maybe. Like, maybe that's maybe that's it. I don't want to put myself out there. Uh, it's raining here in California, which is cool. That doesn't happen very much, so I'm excited about that. And I hope all the drips off of the drain pipe right outside my window are not too distracting for you or the listeners. I don't hear even a little bit of it. So I'm forget I said that. Then everything. Are perfect. you are you re- recovering from that 15 game slate on Monday night? I mean, that was a lot, right? <laughs> that was a lot of games. Um, I. Uh, I, I did. I watched uh, because I uh, needed to see a win. Uh, I watched Warriors Kings most closely, but I was jumping around. That's a lot so, of. Games. So you almost didn't get to see a win, is what you're saying? I really did not think there was going to be a win right up until there was one. Uh, yeah, the Warriors have some issues that we will discuss. I think at uh, some length. Uh, but yeah, did you? Did you? What did you focus in on last night? Did you have a particular game you're watching? Um, yeah, so I watched two games in full, and then I was bouncing around to like the final quarters or closing stretches of some, I saw the end of warriors King. Someone actually, Greg friend of the podcast learned me on Twitter that the Kings were running out some funky ass lineup. So mm-hmm. like, all right, I guess I switched to this one since I was sort of in between, but I, my main focus was rockets magic, uh, which was because you're a masochist. Um, well, it was, it was like frenetic as hell. I really enjoyed it. Um, Jalen green was like an incendiary device, but that was the game I focused on at the start, but I'm not sure whether I would want more nights like that. And it's, I'm not sure if it's because we actually are, we need to like, if I was just watching it as a fan and this isn't an insult to a fan, but where I need to like process and synthesize, synthesize this information. Yeah. I would probably enjoy it, but I would like, I I get overwhelmed by having the 15 games. And if we go into this and they're like, well, these are the things that you might have to cover. And there's like eight different items that you might need to react to. It's like, well, I can't watch eight games at once. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you can. Eight screens. The crunch time, like red zone type thing that they did was, I thought it was interesting. And if it was like one night a week or something, but it's just like, you can't run that consistently because then you're just going to have entire days where it is. I will say as someone whose sleeping patterns suck, um, it is nice to have, we're recording this on a Tuesday. It's nice knowing there aren't games today, 
But like, I would rather have them spread out than like if there's two nights a week where there just aren't games so that we could have these 15 game slates. Yeah, it was it was overwhelming. That's why. uh, Yeah, I I couldn't I couldn't watch more than like five or 10 minutes of any game other than the main one I was watching. But I'll do the same thing where I'll just go see like which which game's close in the fourth. If you know, time being an issue so I can like have a take on whatever happened at the end of the heat game or, you know, whatever, which, which is pretty exciting actually last night. So uh, that worked out well. Let's move into peace or panic. We got these from, we, we threw it out. We have some teams that we're going to talk about ourselves towards the end, but we threw this out peace or panic to our discord members. Again, join the discord house for that plug. And they gave us responses. So we'll rotate. Um, and I'll begin grant. This comes from Cole peace or panic. Jalen sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I love the just the the name as the first uh, category. Um, so I, this is I mean, my first answer was peace because who cares? It's Orlando. So this is my second shot at the Magic already in this podcast. Uh, great for the first uh, five they're, minutes. They're like the twenty twenty eight NBA champions already. I don't know what the Magic slander is emanating <laughs> over there in California. So this is just bitter because you want their bench. I feel like. Oh well, yeah. As a Warriors fan, I mean, I can't say anything about the Magic, and so that actually is a great jumping-off point because <laughs> if you only saw Jalen Suggs play uh, his most recent game against the Warriors, there would be total peace here um, because he played the game of his life. I think he had twenty-six and nine. Uh, don't check me on those stats. He had several steals, like a couple of which came on came against Steph Curry in the late stages that more or less clinched the game. He hit a bunch of big shots. Um, but ultimately it's, for me, it's a little more panic because, uh, he, you know, has all defensive team potential. Like this is flashes of Chris Dunn type stuff, um, which is not a name you want to necessarily be compared to because Chris Dunn is not in the league. Um, but the ball just doesn't go in enough. Right. Even with, he's had a hot game or two, 42 point, this is going into last night's game. So these may have changed a little bit, but you know, 42-6 from the field, 25-9 from three, and 63-2 from the foul line, which that's worse than last year. And just as a as a measure of, like, is this guy a shooter, if you're not making free throws, it's really hard to project, like, meaningful improvement. And for Suggs to be – He went one of four on free throws against the Rockets as someone who watched that game, by the way. So he got worse. <laughs> he went down. So, so it's just, like, it's really difficult to envision a future in which Suggs is anything more than – you know, a defensive specialist that, you know, if he's hot, then great. He can help you on both ends. And he looks like a, you know, low end starter or rotation guy. He's it's still early, obviously, but just the key measures of, of just, can he shoot? Like, can he put the ball in the basket enough to really matter? Um, Not great. Not great. So, so panic, if you think Suggs is important enough, which based on where he was drafted, like the magic feel that way, uh, you know, to, 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 you know, bust is a strong word because he has some NBA skills, but like uh, you, that's something you might want to be thinking about already. I am all the way peace here, and I don't know that I, I the free throw shooting. Sure, I just don't. Orlando doesn't have any other guards right now, capable guards that are healthy, and Jalen Suggs is still doing a lot of stuff that should be streamlined for him. Uh, the turnovers can remain an issue. He needs to get better with his timing on like lobs. And if he wants to throw the court, uh, you know, those cross court passes, he should be more sure that they're not going to go into the eighth row of the stands when he's tossing them. So like, I get that, but also like, this is still someone he's only made two assisted field goals this season. And that's someone who I think like, yeah, if you're worried about the catch and shoot three point percentage right now, I get it. But I do think that he's not really necessarily in the role that he would be in 
long-term. He's shooting 61.8% on twos, 56.3% on drives, limited number there. So there is still just like a very useful NBA player. And he's also, by the way, he's nine of 11 on pull-up jumpers this year. And so like, they're still not giving him the, um, the best space to operate within. And I don't know that that changes when you're looking at their guards getting healthier because it's Cole Anthony and Markel Fultz. But I think what you mentioned about the expectations is fair. Whereas if you're expecting him to be this all NBA type player, is it maybe time to panic? Then sure. But in terms of like, if you thought he was just going to be a fringe star or or an all-star, which is where I thought a lot of people sort of wound up. Um, I'm just, I'm still very much peace here. And like, there are new moving parts to the way Orlando's playing with the stuff they've um, run with Franz Wagner, who him and Jalen Suggs even have really nice chemistry as well. Paolo Bencaro being integrated into the offense. Um, yes, like I said, Jalen Suggs is lucky that Wendell Carter Jr. and Bobo have such a long catch radius on his passes. Like, we're not even halfway into his second season, and right. I don't know if he is ever going to be. If you took him out of the role of, I don't want to say primary point guard, but like your 1B playmaker even, like maybe that's not him. And you know what? That's going to be okay. And so I am very much peace here. If you ask me right now, if I think he makes an all-star team for his career, like, yeah, that's when it gets easier to hedge, but I would still, if it was set at 0.5, I would just take the over anyway, because I'm that much of a believer in at least the flashes that, that he has shown. I do think, I mean, there are things to let, you know, I was all negative, but like he does play really hard. And I think that that matters. Um, And it seems like, you know, the, the, there should be a way for, because like this is a team built around Paolo Bancaro. I think just that's already obvious. It's I think he's gonna, ball ball, but go ahead. <laughs> he's gonna be yeah, ball ball. he's gonna be we're gonna have another magic question you just made me remember. Um, but if if that's so if 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 Suggs is not gonna be the primary ball handler, which I think some of his passing and decision making suggests he should not be, he's gotta make shots because like that's just the role that he's gonna be in. And I think you know, Wagner too should be someone that has the ball and can initiate and drive and kick. And so you know, if you gave me the all-star bet and it was 0.5, I'd go under. Um, I just, I just think it's really hard for me to think of someone who came into the league and shot this badly that ended up like correcting it to a level where he made sense as a, like, as essentially like a catch and shoot guy that could be like a second side attacker. I just, it, you know, again, but it's super early. Like this is age 21 season. He could get better. It's just based on kind of past precedent and just thinking about, who he reminds me of. It's like Chris Dunn just keeps coming to mind. And that's, that's not great. And look to your point, catch and shoot threes account for over 27% of his shots. He's hitting them at an 11.8% clip. I mean, that's gotta come up obviously. A little low. I'm I'm saying like, that's fair to, I mean, but you're talking about his free throw shooting. He's in the fifties now after that performance against the Rockets. So it's, it's definitely a concern. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not there yet on the panic front. All right, I got. I, I'll I'll take this one. This is from Darkwing Duck. Great uh, early to mid '90s show on uh, Channel 44 where I lived. Um, none of the Jazz own draft picks. Incredible. <laughs> none of the Jazz own draft picks in 2023 will be lottery picks. Peace or panic? I mean, they own a Minnesota pick, so they're fine. So. I'll say- <laughs> Uh, I mean, look, the less favorable, I guess you're looking at their own and then you have Minnesota's and then the less favorable of Houston's Brooklyn's and Phillies they get, right? And that won't be in the lottery basically no matter what, right? Like that's because right, Philly will make the playoffs and you're getting the least favorable of that. So even if the Nets and the Rockets are both 
Yeah. I'm going to say peace here. I'm still not convinced. I'm sold on the Jazz being good. Top in the West, I mean, let's chill. But they run some just awesome lineups and playing five out a ton, and they really just like, you know, when you look on paper, and I know that some of the guards have always crashed the glass hard on Utah offensively, but like they're the to- a top five offensive rebounding team right now. Would you look at this roster on paper and expect them to be that? No, not and at all. And I'm getting a lot of those just like feelings about this team where it's there. Yeah, they play hard. They're built randomly, of course, but with an assortment of talent that, you know, is capable, but they're doing things that you just don't like. You know, Jordan Clarkson leveling up his passing, not something that you would expect. Larry Markinen doing all kinds of things um, off the dribble, um, like becoming even a smarter cutter at this point in his career. Uh, the, the chemistry that it seems like they have already when you're looking at Sexton and some of the decisions he's made to find his teammates after leaving his feet, they haven't even been together that long. Why is he making those decisions? Uh, Colin Sexton hitting uh, pull-up jumpers all of a sudden. So there's just like, they are good as constructed. I'm just not convinced that Danny Ainge is going to let this stand. I mean, if you're at the top of the West 20 games into the season, I guess you're almost obligated to. I would say of the picks that they have, I, is theirs still the most likely to be in the lottery? And that is the answer that I don't have because I'm so the the vibes emanating out of Minnesota just don't feel fantastic at the moment. So I'm going to say peace, but we are, I'm going to say this right now. We are about one to two weeks away from panicking. If you want the jazz to have a lottery pick this season. Yeah. I'm going to panic now. Cause I think there are nice. some indicators that, uh, you know, I, I, it was John Hollinger. I think that noted that uh, Utah opponents are just missing free throws at ridiculous rates. Like that's going to normalize, um, their opponent three point percentage, I think is like the seventh lowest. Um, so that may normalize based on their overall, like uh, location of shots they're allowing. This is all from cleaning the glass. You know, what, what should the allowed effective field goal percentage be like, that's pretty much in line with what they're allowing. So like, you know, even that there's not a clear sign of, Oh, the wheels are going to fall off this thing. It's been smoke and mirrors. I don't think that's the case at all. Um, but like, so to me, you say, you know, say, say 10, 20 more games go by and they're still first in the West. Like maybe you re no, I, I think this, all the moves that Utah made once Danny Ainge was in charge were just totally designed to maximize championship equity. It's like a Daryl Morey concept, right? Like what, how do we up our percentage chance of winning a title? And like the first step in that is let's get as many high lottery picks as possible. And this, this year is the one that you have to get this year, right? Cause it's Wimbanyama. You have to get this one. So I think like you alluded to, the longer this goes on, like the more likely it is that we just like, we got to trade Mike Conley. We got to trade, you know, everybody, but really Markinen's going nowhere. Um, and I guess probably because they signed Sexton as the, in the sign and trade, he's probably not going anywhere. Um, I don't know, like Walker Kessler, I guess probably is a keeper, but like everybody else is just going to get traded. They have to, um, because otherwise, like what's the upside of with this roster being the fifth or sixth seed or whatever it ends up being like i don't I, you get some reps for guys but most of whom are not going to be part of your core when you really are serious and contending in a real way ideally in like two three four years like it just this was such a big swing with such grand ideas and just such an obvious we're trying to win a championship down the line by doing this um you can't you can't throw that away 
because your team is surprisingly good and you might, you know, win 45, 50 games. And then like, where are you? You know, I, I, I just, I, so I'm, pan <laughs> I am panicking because I don't think that Wolves pick will be in the lottery. And I don't think if they don't change something that their pick's going to be in the lottery, or at least at the very least, like not a high lottery pick where you're in the running for Scoot Henderson or Wembenyama. First of all, you say they're going to win 45 or 46. They're on pace to win like 62. So why don't <laughs> like, uh, I, I think I just don't, I'm at the point where it's like, if you're this good, do you sort of lean into it? And if, if you don't want to do that, then the decision needs to be made yesterday. Like you're not, you're not doing yourselves anything. If this is what, if that's what you actually wanted to do. And I, I have no idea what, <clears throat> excuse me, Danny Ainge is doing behind the scenes and him and Justin said, I, I imagine like, this is catching everyone off guard in Utah. Right. But I think you also look at their future draft equity, all the picks that they got in these two trades, they're going to have plenty of bites at the draft apple and being accidentally awesome. As I phrased it on Twitter, mm -hmm. I don't really think that sets you back too much because you're only going to have at most a 14% chance of getting Victor Wembanyama anyway. And it's just like, you know, I guess that's better than a 0% chance, obviously. Um, and this draft is considered very deep at the top, but I just, I can't like when you're this good already, if you want to tear it down, like it needs to be made soon because you're six and a half games in front of the last place team in the West. And that's right now. And we are at November 8th as we record this, that distance probably isn't going to shrink at all. If you continue leaving these players out there and as of right now, like I'm enjoying way more than I thought. I thought I was going to have to slog through watching the jazz this year. I thought they were going to be one of my teams that, when we had questions on them, I have to go back and do the most research for um, where I would probably, they're the team that I'm not going to prioritize later in the year, unless mm -hmm. they have someone who's young and standing out. They are fun to watch. And I personally, like the sentimentalist in me, like I wouldn't take a stick of dynamite to this roster right now because the vibes are so good. But yeah, there are some indicators where it's like, is this really going to be the best offense in the league? And then you look at what they're doing on offense and it's like, well, they're hitting 38% of their threes, which seems high, but it's 10th in the league. And it's just like, yeah, they're going to take a bunch of them. That just makes mm -hmm. a ton of sense. And they're not shooting outlier clips from really anywhere else. So, and you look at the the personnel on this team when they're playing, like, why wouldn't they shoot above an above average clip from three? So I, I get, I get what you're saying. I guess my thing would be like, if you're not going to make the decision to shut guys down or to trade them, I'm, let's, I'll give them till Thanksgiving. Then don't make that decision. And I don't think it actually hamstrings them as much moving forward because they have all those other draft picks. And I would think, and I'll point to look what's happening in Brooklyn where Houston decided, Hey, we're going to bet against Brooklyn's future. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying Minnesota or Cleveland is nearly as dysfunctional and their stars are not near, especially in Cleveland aren't nearly as old, but like you have so many draft picks coming that one of those might end up turning into, it doesn't have to be one of your own necessarily. Yeah, I, I I take I think it's it is interesting that like, you know, I think we all came into the year thinking like the Jazz are gonna be really bad on purpose, but they're gonna have to trade some guys, and we sort of I think all assumed that it would be pretty easy to do that, and it's just kind of like well, really, their opening schedule made me think like oh they can slow play this because look at the teams that they've beaten well that's the thing like <laughs> now you've got these wins banked like you can't take those <laughs> off the board so if you do decide to pivot if and when teams come calling or if and when you know the you know somebody wants Conley, we're going to get to that in a second um it might be too it might be too late and it's just it's very difficult to make a big like tear it down trade in friggin' 
early to mid November. Like that just doesn't really happen. So yeah, they, that's why I'm panicking is this like, they're stuck on a track they did not expect and did not want. So <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, it, it's, they're going to be one of the most interesting teams, you know, unless and until they, they've, I'd you know, steer into it. I'd be curious, and I know we have a lot of jazz fans that listen to this podcast, what their actual thoughts on this are, whether they're yeah. enjoying this or there's like, you're enjoying it, but in the back of your mind, like, no, we want, because we had questions. It seemed like the fan base was concerned they actually weren't going to tank hard enough mm-hmm. this year. And lo and behold, they are not. <laughs> they are not. They are not. The and <laughs> I, I get, look, I get either stance. Like, it yeah. doesn't always pay to be, I think, again, I, I've said this twice. I should have read, like, I think it's the 2012, 2013 Nuggets, where it's the year after they trade Melo, and they're also just really good, and they win 50-plus games. And it's like, that core wasn't sustainable. But it was also just like, it was fun. And so I can't, as long as this is happening, I just, I can't bring myself to. And so, like, around Thanksgiving, I think, is when you need to have, by, like, by then, though, you need to have your direction set, where mm-hmm. it's some of these guys, I mean, that's too early to shut players down. But, like, which is hard because if you don't think you're going to move, you know, Sexton and marketing and Sexton's not even trade eligible at the moment. Right. So it's just like, um, but like maybe you like to be so committed to it, like you're going to have to look, all right, well, there's Conley, there's Clarkson, there's Malik Beasley out there. Um, and maybe you even look, maybe you look at moving Larry marketing. Like what do you get for Larry marketing right now? What would the Lakers give, do the rust trade built around Larry marketing for two picks and a swap? Like, right. Like, give you more than the two and you'd have to give someone else there they probably wouldn't because that front office has no idea what they're doing but so i'll give them to thanksgiving so i get if you want them to tank it's i think it's a panic Mm -hmm. i'm just kind of enjoying what i'm seeing and i still don't it's not that i don't believe it i don't believe that danny ainge and justin zanuck won't do something about it i guess is where i'm at agree agree it's like they have to our next piece or panic uh piece or panic from no name for god the Nuggets should trade for a veteran point guard like Mike Conley. Outside of Jamal Murray, they have Bones Highland, Ishmith, both of whom are nursing some minor stuff. And I I feel the Nuggets would benefit hugely from an experienced court um, general slash scorer. How would that trade look? And so I guess the first piece of panic here is, do you think the Nuggets, like the Nuggets need to trade for a veteran floor general? That's, that's an easy piece for me because this is a top five offense with some underperformance so far. Um, and you have Jokic, who's essentially one of the best point guards in the league, just at a different size than you're used to seeing. Um, you know, Murray, I think has had a couple flashes, generally disappointing. He's going to get better. I like, I think Highland, you know, defensively, that's an, basically my, my macro take is like the nuggets are fine on offense. I'm not concerned with enough, them having enough facilitation with the offense running fine. Like, in the minutes that matter, Jokic is going to have the ball, and I trust that there'll be good results offensively. If Jokic gets hurt, Mike Conley's not going to save you. So I don't – and then that ties into the other part of the question is, like, there really isn't a realistic way to get someone like Conley who's making 22 – just a little under $23 million this year, non-guaranteed 24 and a half next year um, because you're trading Aaron Gordon, you're trading Caldwell Pope and somebody else to make that happen – um so if you want to go looking for like so i'm not giving up an asset to try to get someone like conley who i think just wouldn't wouldn't play a big enough role or wouldn't improve you enough in the ways you need to improve like defensively for example to really justify giving up what would be a significant like a starter level asset potentially just for salary matching purposes Mm -hmm. so you know just looking at like the free agent point guards that are still unsigned are bad like if that's the concern like is dj augustine better than ish smith I 
I mean, the fact that one's employed and the other's not suggests that's an easy <laughs> answer. I mean, like Rondo, Eric Bledsoe, like I don't, I don't see. So I basically like, this is a chill, like peace is fine here because the Nuggets offensively have been great without like a conventional point guard forever. Monte Morris was good in that role. I think their offense is still great and will be great and, you know, championship caliber without him. Um, defense is going to just be the problem that, and I don't see a point guard uh, when you'd have to give up something big to get like fixing, fixing that. Right. Yeah. Like, could you maybe do something for TJ McConnell just because the salary is smaller there? Uh, I don't even think Patty, let's say the Brooklyn Nets tear it down. I don't think Patty Mills really gives them what they're looking for. It's a, it's a piece for me too. And I think also they've started to find, if you're worried about Bowens Highland remaining healthy. Okay. Um, but they started to find like bench units that have Michael when, when Jamal Murray and Jokic aren't playing and you have bones and Michael Porter jr. On the court, the nuggets have a 118 to offensive rating and they're outscoring opponents by 12.5 points per hundred possessions. If you don't think that's playoff proof, that's fine. You probably shouldn't be in a situation where you have more than one star off the court anyway, uh, in yeah. a playoff series at this point, unless that lineup is, is straight killing it. I'm with you that the trade is too difficult to make. And then if you were going to make a swing, it needs to be, bigger scale and i don't think that you would look at the point guard market if you're going to do that and that we actually have a question i don't know if it's the next one the piece or panic that gets into it yeah after this one so i wouldn't if there's a smaller move to be made there like can you get tj mccall like yeah that just might be you know you use i guess ish smith and then like are you willing to move zeke naji at this point he's banged up and you were touting his promise coming into training camp only to barely play him in the preseason um so i guess they could look at that but i wouldn't view it as just like a need. I would view what we're about to discuss as like the more alarming aspect of this team. Yeah. So let's get to that. Um, and I'm really glad I'm throwing this to you because I have been thinking too much about Anthony Davis trades lately for work. So I don't want to deal with this until I hear you say it. Uh, this is from Nugs. Uh, the Nuggets defense remains average to crappy and they trade MPJ for Jimmy Butler or KD. Man. Where do you want to start I, with that one? <laughs> I'm, I'm almost ready to say panic. Just because it's like their ball containment on on what I've watched has been really bad. Um, they're allowing opponents to shoot above seventy percent at the rim outside of garbage time, which is also lo and behold very bad. Those two things might be related. By the let way, let me interrupt you. I'm sorry because that I fixated on that too, and then my my knee jerk reaction was like, "God damn it, Jokic! Like this, you can never build a championship defense around him. It's not his fault. It doesn't look like it's his fault. Like structurally, maybe, but like they defend the rim better when he's in the game." And it really does just seem like it's it's the Rudy Gobert thing, the Utah thing. The guys on the perimeter don't stay in front of anybody. And so that's where the layup parade starts. Sorry, continue. I will also say, but I will say, I wouldn't trade for Kevin Durant because this team doesn't need Kevin Durant. Right. He's, I don't want to say he's like, he's not the same player as Michael. He's better defensively than Michael Porter. You don't want to get that clear, but like Kevin Durant isn't fixing your perimeter defensive issues. Nor is he might be, if you're looking for like a back line, rim protector okay like he can do that stuff but uh jimmy butler would be the name you're throwing out there i'm trying to think of just like another player it's it depends on look all right i'm gonna phrase it this way i'm going to say peace in this or no i'm gonna say panic that it if you can i don't think the defense is gonna be good i was high on i they were my championship pick i don't think that they're like you know gonna be the worst defense in the league i've, I've even stopped checking on where they rank because it just makes me sad at how much i missed on their defense uh, they are 22nd. So they're actually a little bit higher than I thought right now. Mm -hmm. Everything's fine. So peace. But I panic in the sense that 
I don't think this is going to be a noticeably above average defensive team and hope uh, maybe they'll prove me wrong just so my title pick can look good. Um, I just don't know. This comes back to like, what trades are you supposed to make? Uh, and it has to be, if you're moving Michael Porter Jr. One, does a team want him knowing his chronic back injuries that he has? He is one of the greatest shooters in the league right now. Just to, like, and I think Full he stop. could do more in a larger role if you're not asking him to play make, because I just don't see it there. But like, what is, what is the baseline return? you're willing to move him for like, would you, this is, I'm just throwing this out there because I know he's not available. Like, would you move Michael Porter jr. In a, it would have to be a bigger trade for OG Ananobi. That's the first name I thought of. <laughs> so we've been and I'm not trying to pillage the Raptors roster. It's just like, that's yeah. the, like the non-star type where you would give up real assets to, to acquire him. Right. Like that's the thing. I mean, so the other name, and this is even, this is so beyond implausible, never going to happen that there's no point, but like, someone someone like as if there's another like evan mobley like someone that is long that could switch that could cover mistakes that like when bone bones highland gets blown by he you know apparates from the three-point arc to the rim and like snuffs it out like someone like that ananobi is going to shut down whoever he's on the ball guarding but like you know the other thing is it's disappointing right because the theory of of the team was okay so kcp reputed as a good on-ball defender maybe that's a little outdated but still solid uh bruce brown like basically stayed in the league because he could defend and then the nets turned him into a like a role man but and then aaron gordon is supposed to be a good defender too so really like it's murray and Jokic that are killing your defense and we've already said that Jokic, like limited as he is like doesn't seem to be the real problem so i to me i'm gonna say peace I think MPJ is just super valuable if he's healthy because he's just a five alarm fire all the time. And he, he's the, along with Jokic, like he's the guy that makes this offense so good that you could have the 22nd ranked defense and like, you know, playoffs are a different story, but it's just, he, he's so valuable. And I don't know, like Ananobi is an interesting guy. I think that's the type you're looking for. Mm. I just, I would just hope that some of your preseason expectations of the defensive additions you made, like improving the defense, will sort of come out as we go forward. Just because otherwise, you're talking a drastic move. And I just, I don't see an easy way to do that. No. And like they don't even have the pick equity, imminent pick equity to no. do it. So it's like if Dylan Brooks became available in Memphis for some reason, that's also is what is the name? What, it, you know, Jimmy Butler has to ask her out in Miami. You mentioned Anthony Davis, I'm assuming is like a joke, but that wouldn't be like, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. But, but uh, so, but that, you don't have the picks to do that. Is it Port, Porter and, and picks? Like, I, well, I mean, they're both have like their, Anthony Davis's chronic injury is getting injured. So, right. like, is there like a sort of an even swap there almost? But I don't, I'm just trying to think of the name. I mean, I, OG Ananobi was the one that sprang to mind because he's the archetype of player that I do feel like this team still kind of needs. There's no one even resent. You know what would be interesting? But like, this might Draymond? Be- what are you going to say, Draymond? Oh no, that would be interesting actually. Um, wow, I didn't think of that. I was going to say like I don't know if they're there yet, and we're going to talk about them later. But like if the Clippers were just like right, like we're going to trade Paul George, like that would be someone that would that would. And so like, can you use Michael Porter Jr. Though, let's say if that type of player hits the block. Does Michael Porter Jr. even give you an inlet to being involved in those in those discussions? I have such a hard time putting a value on on Porter Jr. Just because like the injury questions are so legit, you know, and so but there's also no question that like when he's on the floor, he he's 
the spacing he brings that he can create his own shot. Just the shooting is just, it's the premium skill, right? It's the premium skill and he's got it. So it's, it's hard to figure out like what he's worth. I don't know. That's an interesting question. And the defense is the problem that there's, there's no doubt about that kind of looping these two nuggets questions together. I will say, so we, you went peace. I went panic. Um, but what, if we were just to boil it down to the defense in general, would it both just be a panic there for Denver? Yeah. Mild for me, just cause I do have some faith that the additions they made, can get this up, you know, into the you know, say middle of the pack on defense instead of, you know, bottom 10, just not, you know, it's not like a huge leap, right? No. Next one comes from Herb Jones enjoyer. Peace or panic grant Zion's defense and more specifically how inconsistent he is while having moments of brilliance. Um, so first of all, if, if you're Herb Jones enjoyer and so obviously you appreciate great defense and then you're going to have to watch Zion play defense. It's like Lamborghini enjoyer saying like this Toyota Corolla sucks. Like that's just like two separate species of defensive player. Uh, I think, I mean, I don't know what's if what, how to say if I'm, I mean, I'm at peace with the fact that Zion is never going to be a good defensive player. <laughs> I think, okay. so I guess, I guess, do you want to panic about that? If you're the Pelicans, like, they just, I mean, just physically, right. He doesn't move laterally well at all. So, and he's not, his wingspan is not long. So like there's two major components of good defenders that he just is never going to have. Um, I think he like the inattentiveness, which I think this, this question really kind of focuses on. It's just, yeah, that could improve, right? Like he could, he could be more dialed in. He could be more consistent. He could quit losing his guy on back cuts um, or just totally like, spacing on he needs to make this close out or help the helper here like that's all i mean that's been there as an issue for him from like the second he was debuted in the nba which makes sense not to make excuses for him but like he's never had to play defense he's always been just you know aau whatever level he's just the guy that has the ball scores a ton dunks on everybody uh and just is the offensive engine probably never really been asked to play defense in any kind of serious way. So, I mean, in addition to having like physical limitations, he just isn't, he doesn't have the wiring. I don't think it hasn't, you know, it hasn't been developed. So uh, yeah, I mean, panic if you, cause look, this Pelicans team is good. They're I think five and five now, but I think we both agree that they're, you know, still really exciting. And once they're all healthy, better than that, you're going to get into playoff series and like, guess who's getting targeted. Um, that that's going to be an issue. So if you think this Pelicans team is really going to be great, which is not unreasonable, then you probably do panic about a guy that you are going to have on the floor in major meaningful stretches against really good teams that are smart. And he's going to get, they're going to go at him and he's not going to hold up very well. I don't think so. Um, that's, that's worth panicking. If you're thinking like really big picture for what the Pelicans are trying to do. I would say panic as well about his defense. And we've seen, like, we've seen the moments, especially on ball, but then there's just like, you know, he got torched at a bunch of points in that game that they played against the jazz. And it's just, he always seems like his body's like in the wrong spot or he's just giving everyone the room to get by him. And someone who is still, even if you think he's imperfect athletically now following his injuries um, is built to not let that happen. Uh, Like it's, it's concerning. And I do think Michael Pina wrote about this for the ringer that the fact that Zion at the five is luxury more than necessity now helps you a little bit mm-hmm. moving forward. But it, you just mentioned it going into a playoff series where if you're going to be targeted, like they have a guy in Zion that they can go after. I am willing to give him 
the benefit of the doubt to an extent where it's like, okay, he's coming back from a serious foot injury. Now he's dealt with some hip stuff when that could, I would imagine like having a hip injury can affect turning your body properly when you're trying to defend on the ball. So I want to say peace mostly because we rushed to coronate the Pelicans. I don't want to be, I want, I want to be as right about the Pelicans as I was about the Cavs, but I think it's fair to just like, no, that's just something that you're going to have to plan around at this point. Like the athletic tools on offense aren't always going to um, translate to the defensive end for him. But like, and there'll be moments where he can do it, which is fine. Maybe you fast forward a few years and like, it's better, but it probably won't be because he's in his athletic prime now. And I think people are kind of in, general like the prevailing consensus is that his prime is going to be i don't want to say shorter but it's going to come earlier just based off what makes him so good mm-hmm. um if you're worried about like some of the shot selection this year on offense i would just give it peace like he's traded in a lot of looks at the rim for like more of those short mid-rangers which he's just not making um and i think if he changes just his decision making there specifically and then some of the lineups he's been playing in have not been ideal for that so i'd be peace there but for the defense i think it's if, if you think he needs to be a let's say a serviceable defender um for this team to reach its peak, then yeah, I would probably argue it's time to panic. And that's a weird thing to say with Trey Murphy and Herb Jones and Dyson Daniels there. Right. Um, And even like having Jose Alvarado there as well, but like, and then Brandon Ingram has been, but he's even like, you know, we talk about this with the warriors where the guys feel like they overreact um, because they have to cover up for James Wiseman. There's a little bit of that. When you look behind Zion on some plays, when he's pulled out, there are guys overreacting behind him. And that's, that's difficult to overcome. I don't know where I stand on what that does to the Pelican ceiling because I do think he is so unbelievably transcendent and dominant on the offensive end. It ultimately is worth it to just still like, no, we're building this team around Zion. Of course, that's what we're doing. But I think the defense in general, we're probably at the point where it's we shouldn't be waiting on him to become this. I don't even want to say exceptional, but like good or reliable defender. Yeah, passable, like you yeah. playable. I mean, he's very not. passable at the moment. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very easy to get past. Him. Um, what I just, I think one point of that's slightly encouraging is like he did, you know, he did drop weight and he did get into better shape. So like he can do that, and maybe maybe that's something else he's never really been asked to do, like play defense. And I think it's encouraging that you know he did look, he has looked better just from a from a body composition standpoint this year. So maybe like as he gets a little further removed from the foot, as he maybe continues to lean out a little more, um, you know, he can at least be a little more mobile, flexible. You know, I think of someone like not to keep bringing it back to the Warriors, but like Kevon Looney had two hip surgeries. Right. And just like moved like he was 50 initially and then like got into yoga and just I mean, he granted he came up as a guard. So he had like perimeter defensive skills. But like guys can get more mobile and flexible and get down in a stance better. It just takes like a ton of work. So, I mean, it's not, it's not impossible, but Zion just because of his frame has like a lot of really like difficult, like, you know, obstacles, I'd say to, to like, you know, improve substantially. Um, Let's talk about someone with a very different frame. Uh, This is from Jokic Joestar. Mo Bamba's window to become an NBA player is closing with Bull Bull showing out. <laughs> uh, I guess that'd be panic because first of all, I know he got his like quote unquote money, but it never made sense to bring him back. Even though he proved last year, like, Oh, there is the element of the floor spacing rim protector right. from him. But like you had Paolo Bancaro, you had, well, we, you thought you were going to have Jonathan Isaac, who said the other day, like, he's closer than ever to returning. I was like, what does that even fucking mean? Like, you picked up a basketball today? Is that what that means? 
you put down the you put down the typewriter for your latest uh, non bestseller and was able to pick up a basketball anti vax campaign. Right. Uh, so I, I it, it's a panic because like I don't see what the pathway is to minutes for him. He did because I watched Magic Houston. Like he was kind of this defensive jolt against Shangun at points. He had a good game last night. So maybe that, but it's like, what is the pathway long term for him? Maybe panic saying he can't be an NBA player is a little strong because we haven't seen him outside Orlando's ecosystem, which has always been just clogged on the front line, doesn't provide enough spacing to begin with. So yeah, I would like to see him elsewhere, but because Bobo, who is just more dynamic on offense, when you look at what he can do with the ball in his hands and like those finishes he's able to make turning corners, what is the, there's no argument to find Bamba consistent playing time. And oh, hey, that's going to get harder if Jonathan Isaac ever does transition from author to basketball player again. So it's just like, I I feel like I don't want to blame it on the Magic. And Bamba's dealt with a lot of injuries. He dealt with condition, conditioning issues as well. I believe he was also hit hard when he got sick or had COVID. I'm not sure if it was last year or the year before. So like there have been obstacles. But yeah, the window's closing. Like we're on this dude's second contract. He's coming off a standout year and can't find minutes on a team that's like not, they're not, they're fun to watch. And like they've put up a lot of fight, but like they're not invested in the immediate as much as some of these other teams. So I will say panic. I just don't know like who is emotionally invested in the outcome of Mobamba's career that they're actually panicking. Oh, I'm not dismissing. I want to see him elsewhere. I just don't know, you know, if you're, if you're holding him to being a top seven, top five draft prospect. Yeah. It's definitely time to panic about that. Yeah. hundred percent there. I'm going to, I'm going to like really zero in on the actual verbiage of the question is window to become an NBA player is closing. Like one, he's already an NBA player. He's, and he's got a second contract. So I'm not sure that window shut, you know, what I think the intention of the question is like, is he ever going to get out in front of bull bull now in the rotation? And that's like, that might be a little panicky. Um, let's see bull bull like sustain this though. Right. Like and the hold guy, for an entire season too, cause yeah. he's dealt with his own injury. Issues. Right. And had like some character maturity concerns, like coming out of the draft. That's why he's like, let's, let's see. Right. Plus like such an, an unusual player, right. He's just like, he has on ball skills. He's, I mean, the shot blocking, like he's already like Bamba does not have the edge there, he, but like, look, Bamba last year, 15 and 11 with two blocks per 36 minutes. You're never going to play him 36 minutes, but he did start 69 games. So like, for a bad team, sure. But like, he's an NBA player. And the idea of like, if he's your, I mean, if he's your third big, that's a luxury, a guy that can, can stretch the floor and block shots. Like that's, that's better than a lot of third bigs are going to do for you. Um, so he's going to be around, I think it's just like, you know, with, with the magic, probably not unless Bobol just, you know, this is, we look back on this in like January and say, Hey, remember that, incredible early stretch when bull bull who's in the g league now was looked like he was <laughs> starter. like that's not off the table yet i'm just i'm just gonna put that out there this all ends with mo bamba eventually running point for the raptors at, at, at some it's the point. only way uh next up this one comes from uh usher is cp3 just having a slow start or is he officially now the best passing bricklayer in the league <laughs> Uh, I'm going to say peace. I mean, even though he did leave last night's game with like, a, I think it was a heel soreness or heel contusion or something. Messaging, we haven't heard anything initially on that, but the messaging coming out of that was if he could play, he would have, but he couldn't is what he said, but he's also not concerned about it. So yeah. Like, yeah, I get it. Be both. It's, it's, I mean, so 
Yeah, the number look like the trend line is going down, right? Like his he was in the low 30s from three last year. He's at 27% going into last night. This year, 36% from the field. I mean, combined with being 37 years old, like eventually something's gonna go. You're not gonna, you know, never be, getting that old. I've already decided. <laughs> I'm already that old. Be great forever. I can tell you from experience, you're never gonna be that your best forever. Um I do think it's positive that he's taking more threes as a percentage of his field goal attempts than he has in any year of his career outside of the Houston years where they just like, you know, punish you for not shooting a bunch of threes in that era. So, I mean, if you're going to try to make up some of the drop you're getting in effective field goal percentage, shooting a lot of threes is a decent way to do it. Um, He's never been a high volume guy. I think you can tilt the math a little bit in your favor. That doesn't change the fact that like he is just, worse as a shooter this year and it's a continuation of a trend um i'm just not ready to panic yet he's still averaging 10 assists a game he still is one of the smartest players in the league you know all that stuff is great uh i and i guess i just trust him to make shots from the elbow in playoff series which is like really all you need him to do from a scoring perspective he's shooting 50 percent on his pull-up twos now so that has come up that's uh he's however he is shooting 22.2% 22.2% on his pull-up threes. And that's like been his shot, even when he wasn't considered yeah. this three-point shooter. What I will say, and I do wonder if there's an element of uh, transitory wrinkles here, he's taking a lot more of his shots in catch-and-shoot situations. Mm-hmm. Catch-and-shoot threes have accounted for about 20% of his attempts this year. That number was at 7.1% last year. So he's the fact that he's shooting... 33.3% on catch and shoot threes. That's actually higher than you might expect at this point, which is where we're at. You could see that number coming up because it's come up, but it's a volume thing. You're also just looking at his, you know, looks in general where it does feel like he can be more stationary on offense at points, or at least be with, without the ball. 39.3% of his shots have come off assists this year. That is down from 15 or up from 15.2% last year. There's a drastically different role being played for him on offense. And so I'm very much, at peace until like if this sustains through the all-star break, the shooting, then it's a concern because in theory, his offensive responsibility, I don't want to say it's gotten easier, but for stretches, it is more streamlined than it was because Devin Booker exists, which is a luxury. If you're worried about the, the larger picture where it's okay, well, what does he look like on defense come playoff time and his health? Yeah. Like maybe it's time to panic a little bit where it's like, okay, the sons have navigated no Jay Crowder, now Cam Johnson is out for a couple months. The bench has been better than we'd expect. Are we throwing one too many, like, oh, fucks into the equation here? And now right. CP3 is injured and not shooting well. I'm I'm going to go with peace because I do think his offensive usage, despite the assists, has been, I, I don't want to go as far as say to dramatically different, but it, it's, it's materially different than it has been in years past. I, I think, wouldn't you say, though, that, to the Suns won 64 games last year and Chris Paul played pretty much his typical role. You know, not, not, you know, prime Chris Paul, but like, like you said, right. He was doing a lot more self-creation, a lot less catch and shoot and like, like everybody else, but, but you know, he wore down. Uh, and wouldn't this, wouldn't this role change be exactly the approach you'd want to take so that, you know, he's doing a lot, you know, his lift isn't as heavy and you have the luxury of Devin Booker being great and being able to do on ball stuff you're trying to preserve him. Maybe like, maybe that's the the charitable take is like, this is intentional and it's a weird role change and he's not used to it combined with a little bit of aging. And that's why like the, the numbers are what they are and they're not encouraging. I, I think there's a real great chance that like the sun's 
Suns got, you know, left with nothing after 64 wins last year. So it's kind of like, well, what really matters? Let's make sure we're, you know, in one piece and in decent shape, especially Chris Paul for the games that actually count that we care about, that we need to win, you know, in, in May and even June, you know, best case scenario. Um, I think th- there's an element of that. I think that this could just be intentional and he's not used to it. And, and that's a factor too. And that's also what could make it so disarming is because that's so counterintuitive to what we've known about right. CP3. And also look, they're playing him 30 minutes per game as opposed to 33. So that's already pulled back. You're looking at his time of possession last year is um, compared to this year is actually it's lower, which is not surprising there. And it's lower relative to like, you wouldn't expect just that drop off from the minutes that he is not playing uh, his, I think his front court touches were about the same. Yeah. They're actually, they're higher this year than they were last year, but just like his role has changed. And the fact that it's the shooting that is like the biggest but maybe it's the health you're worried about or how he can look in certain defensive situations. But the fact that it's the shooting and we still sort of see him manipulate like switches off the dribble, he's not cooking guys like he used to do to Rudy Gobert, but that he's still so comfortable getting to his spots. That makes me even more confident that it's like these numbers will normalize. Yeah. The trick with this is like what, what it looks like right now is so (laughs) we're preserving Chris Paul versus Chris Paul is starting to be pretty washed is like indistinguishable. And you're just not going to know until the playoffs where either he keeps doing this or they kind of revert back to, Oh, he's like, he's still kind of that guy. It'll be, you know, so we, we're not going to know. I don't think for a while. Can I throw my own curveball here? Peace or panic. The Suns need to trade for someone who will be in their closing lineup or, or is their sixth best player at worst. I mean, yeah, the one is just peace because it's like, unless you think Cam Johnson is going to be out the rest of the year, it's there's Cam, there's Aiton, there's Bridges, there's Paul, and there's Devin Booker. And so to say that they need to trade for someone in the closing lineup would be, are you saying CP3 is cooked or that you don't believe in Cam? Or maybe well, that, look, you could just say, Jock Landale's there. Like, why do you need DeAndre Aiton? Should we revisit this Kevin Durant stuff? I mean, the, the Aiton trade is the one that, like, if you're going to do something, I think that's that's who you look at. But you can't do anything with him for what at least another month January, um, yeah i think two months the uh johnson it was today that it was a meniscus trim instead of a repair so that's the shorter return timeline it's like a one to two month thing so theoretically he'll be okay um but yeah no I, they do feel like guys short don't you think like it, it, you know like almost like now, you might be sitting at home tweeting yeah one of yeah like a certain <laughs> like you know combo forward that maybe like would be in a huge role right now if he had just hung out for a little bit yeah, maybe that they're they're a specific guy short, I guess it feels like. He's probably not even the guy that they actually need when you look no. at this room. But it helps though. Just, I mean, yeah. sure helps. Otherwise, <laughs> we play Dario Saric at the four now. Is well, that what the difference between like, oh, Damian Lee and Tori Craig and Josh Akoki right. are super important, and oh, we have Jay Crowder. Like there's yeah. a there's a big <laughs> big dip there. Well, boy, we, we close that out with a lot of panic. Uh let's let's go. Uh we don't need to panic about just another phenomenal pod because we did it, Dan. We delivered. Um, five stars from me. <laughs> five stars five stars to you five stars to everybody uh, that's going to do it for us thanks for listening everybody uh, please remember like Dan said at the top download comment like rate review subscribe smash all the buttons uh, you know check us out uh, on our socials engage with us get on the discord uh, you can find all the information on that stuff in the YouTube and podcast description tell your friends tell your enemies uh, help us just keep building this because uh, we like doing it And we like interacting with you guys. So uh, in closing, I would again just like to apologize to the one and only Jared Allen. 
and you forgot to shout out Frank Milikina. I'm always gonna. I'm gonna let you shout out Frank Milikina. That's your thing. who who is healthy and available to play as we record this. So the Mavericks are going to win the 2023 NBA title. 